it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. Chris Adams here with the Pink Elephant Podcast and I have a very interesting guest um, on the show today. Emma Fox is joining us. Um, it's going to be, I have no doubt, um, enlightening conversation. Um, I think conversation around a topic that every single one of us is going to be highly intrigued to understand more. Um, but Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. I know. So I know everybody's on pins and needles now, like what is so intriguing about this conversation, <laughs> but you have spent 20 plus years in the healthcare industry. And I know at mm -hmm. first people are like, why is this going to be so intriguing? But the fact that you are actually, um, I, I want to say you're on our side, you are helping uncover and figure out what is up with the healthcare industry. Why is it, uh, why is it the way it is? Um, why have mm -hmm. we accepted, I guess, the way it is? And what can we do to make sure that we are moving the healthcare industry in a better direction? Is that a, is that a politically correct way of saying it? Wow. You, you nailed it. I, you know, it's not very often <laughs> someone can summarize it and you really nailed that. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> so give us a, give us a little snapshot before we really dig deep into this. What, so you, you've been in the industry for a long time. Uh, you worked for mm -hmm. some of the, some of the big brands that are out there that we're all familiar with. What led you to this path of kind of going a different direction and, and I guess going against the grain? Um, I'm, you know, I'm an elder millennial, right? I'm like barely in that category. So naturally I, like I have, term, by the way, I'm going to steal, I'm going to steal elder. That. an elder millennial, an elder millennial. I just turned 40 and I think millennials were like the first generation that really work on purpose, right? Like we have to have a purpose or a reason and we really don't like injustices and that's really deeply ingrained in me. So when I got my first job, I was just sporadically placed by a staffing agency in a really big health insurance carrier role. Um, you know, started out as an admin, but made my way up the ladder really quickly. And then I moved on to really big national accounts and moved up, up the chain. But behind the scenes, I had had a car accident in 2005 that devastated me financially. I mean, I was okay. Clinically, there was a little bit of recovery, but the bills started coming in and I couldn't make sense of it. Like, and I'm working behind the scenes. Like I know how this stuff works, right? I'm processing claims. Um, and I should know how to track it all down, but I couldn't. And for 12 years, I had that job. I worked in executive roles. And at the same time, I was like, okay, do I pay electricity this month or do I pay the hospital that's hounding me? Do I, do I, uh, uh, you know, cut back on my grocery spend? And finally in 2017, I filed uh, bankruptcy to get out from underneath the medical bills. And, and I didn't look like a normal bankruptcy. You know, I remember sitting with the lawyer and he was like, but you're not late on anything and you don't, you know, you're, you're getting by. And I just said to him, I'm just so exhausted. I can't keep up with, you know, what collector has it this time and how much interest is it accruing? And it occurred to me that year that I could never go and work with a carrier again because they hadn't protected me. That insurance policy hadn't done anything to protect me at all. And then I was like, what does the average American do? And the truth is, nothing. They can't do anything because they don't have the resources. They don't have the ability to pay. And so they get sent to collections and they get sued and their life is absolutely ruined. And I, I don't say that for dramatics. Like that's actually what's happening like half a million times a year, every single year. So I was just kind of like, I'm not doing this anymore. I got to do something really, really different. And that's kind of how it started. So one, you're like, right now, everyone's hero. Um, like the case falling <laughs> off your back, but you're never going to go fight. Um, but so when that happened, you, you decided to not go back. Did mm -hmm. you start your own firm? Did you join forces? What was kind of the next step? And cause I, I think it's, look, it's easy as someone that, that owns their own companies. It's, it's very easy to, to make the statement I'm gonna, but then going right. from the idea to the reality and the execution of it is sometimes a little bit more challenging. So what was that process mm -hmm. of going from, 
oh my God, I'm not going back. I'm going to do something different to actually taking that step. Well, I actually got myself into all kinds of trouble because as I was, you know, bankruptcy is a long process. And as I was going through it, I became really annoyed. Like everything annoyed me and my leadership was like, you're not saying the right things. You know, you're out talking to people, saying things that kind of make us look bad. And I can't even tell you how many meetings I was in. And um, I eventually was like, you know what? I'm I'm just going to go work for someone that's not a health insurance carrier. And I did for a year. I, I, I jumped ship and I actually worked for a, an administrator in the industry. And I was really fortunate because they gave me a platform that, that let me let loose, you know, and I became what a lot of people know as a whistleblower and I had a platform all of a sudden and they, they were very supportive because they were selling something slightly different. Um, but then they were bought by private equity and I was in those meetings again where they were like, Emma, can you be a little more agnostic? So in 2018 <laughs> is when I said, you know what, I'm going out on my own. And I met someone randomly at a conference who was, it, it was kind of like these forces collided. So I was from the West coast he was from the East Coast and we met in Kansas City. And I'm listening to him talk and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's saying the things that I'm saying. And then we met and we both literally said, let's let's start a business together. We knew each other for maybe a week. And we were like, let's start a business together where all we do is help employers and patients do everything they possibly can to access healthcare without ever touching a health insurance carrier again. And that's what my company is now. And we've been in business for five years and we've been incredibly fortunate to be so successful and, and built other businesses off of it. Um, but it, it was, it was terrifying. I mean, I know, you know, this as a business owner, it was absolutely terrifying. I was like, what the heck am I doing? I've lost the plot entirely, but it worked out so far, so far, so good. How much has the business forced you to either change or has it been a good thing of an evolution of what you thought it was going to be from day one to now what it's becoming in year five? It's been really wild. So when we started out, I, I think if you were on the outside looking in, you'd say, oh, they're insurance brokers. And if you are an employer of any kind or you have a business, you know what an insurance broker is, right? They help you purchase health insurance. We do something similar, but we again, we avoid the insurance part. So we build uh, health plans little by little, component by component, uh, never using a carrier. And we exclusively did that for the first couple of years. And then as I started uncovering more and more about the industry, I realized it's not just the insurance carriers who are corrupt. The Me, our, my people, the brokers, we have, I can't even tell you, Chris, how many ways I can pay myself on the back of your health plan without you ever knowing what I'm doing. On top of like your commission or the fee that you're paying me, I can put I can make it so that I get paid five bucks every time one of your employees fills a prescription and you'll never know about it. And this is standard practice in my industry. So I uncovered that. And then I uncovered stuff like nonprofit hospitals who are exempt from paying taxes as long as they provide charity care to underserved, underinsured people but they don't actually do it. Instead, they sue them. So I'm peeling back all these layers. I'm just getting furious, right? I can't sleep at night. I'm so mad about everything. And then my company turned a lot more into an advocacy platform. And we launched something that we call the co-consultant program. So we went over to other brokers and said, you guys are doing it all wrong. You, you know, this is really bad for the clients. And we started partnering with those who would ordinarily be our competition. And so now half of our business is direct, but the other half, we actually work with competitors in our industry so that they can do what we've been doing for a while now. Well, now I feel like I need to go check all of my insurance stuff because I always <laughs> felt like it was a racket, but now I feel like it's even worse than I, than I I'm thought. Sorry. So. I'm sorry to break it to you. It probably no, is. No, now you've you got me pissed off and now I'm ready to go fight <laughs> alongside you on the picket lines. Um, so, so, all right, let's dive into this a little bit on you uncovering things. Cause like we have, we provide insurance for our teams and, and mm -hmm. it's a pain. It is a, the yeah. process is a pain. Um, it's insanely expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, it never seems to work right. 
the minute I can't tell you the number of times I get like a random, like I owe $35 or something. I'm like, what is this? I don't even know what it's for. And like, Oh, well you went to whatever and that's not covered. I was like, I, I, I don't even go to the doctor. Like, where did this, what do you cover? I was like, I think it's a better option. You tell me what you do cover versus what you don't at this point. So what are some, do you, I, I know you have statistics and data that talk through a lot of this. What is some of those that stand out? probably that will shock people that are listening right now? Uh, Probably the biggest one is last year, last year was incredible in terms of profit growth for insurance carriers. So the year before they had made about $31 billion in just pure pure profit. Um, So that's the big, we call them like the big four, big six. So it's like, you know, Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna, all those guys that everyone knows. Um, this last year, though, they are at $41.5 million in profit, but the cost of healthcare continues to go up for employers. So think about that, right? You're an employer, you just said. So how is it that your rates keep going up every single year? And they tell you things like, well, it's part of a pool and it's the experience, it's the claims that you're incurring. And they make it sound like you're costing them money, but they're bringing in $41.5 billion in profit between them. And every single year, about half a million Americans will file bankruptcy due to medical bills. And the majority of those people have health insurance. So at some point, you're like, this doesn't add up. This is not making sense at all. And the probably the yuckiest thing that I found, and this was when I worked for carriers and got myself into an executive role, there's two weeks of the year where you're required as a carrier executive to go visit your brokers face to face. You know, we get assigned a book, but you know how sales works. You got to call on this broker, get him to sell your product. Um, and every year, if they sell enough with one particular carrier, they get a big bonus. And th- those bonuses can be hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on what they're writing with us. And so for two weeks every year, I'd be out of the office and I'd be delivering these checks, like six-figure checks to these small brokers. And then the next day, I'd go to an open enrollment meeting, which I'm sure everyone has sat through an OE meeting, right? I'd go to an open enrollment meeting and I'd have to explain to all the people in the room with that same broker sitting next to me that their rates are going up by like 18% this year. And unfortunately, their deductibles are going up. And and this broker is trying the best he can. But I knew in the back of my mind that he's not doing anything but inflating his compensation on the backs of those employees. And um, I, I mean, I could literally talk to you for hours, probably over drinks, about how gross this stuff is. Um, just look at the lobbying costs. Healthcare lobbying has doubled in the last 20 years. We're at almost a trillion dollars that's being spent on lobbying the healthcare and the legislature. And what do we have to show for it? Like it, rates are at an all-time high. Deductibles are at an all-time high. Medical errors, 100,000 Americans die every year of preventable medical errors. It is broken six ways from Sunday. So million dollar question and put you on the spot here maybe um <laughs> it's it's broken right we there's an yeah. issue we know that, that there's problems with it um I, I, and i think this goes almost i'm going a little politics now that says what's the solution right it, it's easy to sit mm-hmm. on the campaign trail and tell me everything that's wrong with 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 the candidate that is horrible and this is why you shouldn't vote for him but I agree with you. It's broken. I deal with it constantly and on our side as well. What's the solution, right? So you, I, I think back, there was the, you know, do we get 100% free healthcare? How does that get paid for? Is that the right thing to do? Is that the wrong thing to do? I, I don't know the answer to this. This is not my world. I just know I have to deal with the crap of it, right? So in your, as being the guru of this, what is the answer? How, how do we move in a direction that this actually has a solution at the end? Um, or at least moving us in the right in the right place. There is, I mean, I'm happy to report there is a solution. It's not an easy one though. And to convince employers to take the path less traveled is really hard when they have a bunch of other stuff that they need to get done as business owners. But here's the solution. Think about this. Okay. So when the Affordable Care Act came out, it had a provision in it and we, we call it the MLR, but it stands for medical loss ratio. And what it said, and, and it was a good, it was intended to be a good thing. 
it was intended to cap profits of insurance carriers so that they couldn't, you know, make excessive amounts of money. And so it said mm -hmm. for every dollar they collect in premiums, that's the money you and your employees spend, they had to spend 80 to 85 cents of that dollar on healthcare. They could only retain up to 15% profit. And so everyone's like, this is good. This is going to change things. But what happened was they figured out, well, if I need to make more profit, I just need to make that 15% bigger. So 15% of a bigger number is, of course, a bigger number. And so they actually have this incentive to inflate healthcare claims rather than help you control them. So the first solution is to understand that brand insurance, those big box brand insurers, are not working in your best interests like not even a tiny little bit. It's all advertising and marketing. And the other thing that is the solution is getting people to realize that you don't actually need health insurance to have health care. Health care doesn't really require insurance unless something catastrophic is going on. So what happened a few years ago was a bunch of doctors got really upset with their industry, which is adjacent to ours. And they started leaving the big systems because they were, you know, overworked, had lots of patients and uh, very underpaid. And they created this, uh, it's a model, I guess, called direct primary care. And essentially they turned their back on insurance and said, I'm not working with insurance anymore. I'll just, you, I'll charge you a hundred bucks a month, Chris. You can come see me as much as you like. You can text me, you can call me. Um, I'll coordinate all your care from here on out. And so we start with that. We start with a doctor who is transparent, doesn't take insurance. And then we build a catastrophic protection around that in case someone, you know, car accident, terminal diagnosis, whatever. Um, we've only been doing it in the employer group market so far. We've, we do it for companies, mostly small and large. But there are, there are solutions and there's this massive movement of people. There's thousands of me um, I just happen to maybe be the most obnoxious and the loudest about it, but we're all doing the same thing. And little by little, we're getting employers to be like, oh my God, like you're going to go check your, bro your broker out after this, I guarantee you. They do that and then they're like, holy crap, this has been going on. And then they come over to us. But it's, it, you know, change is hard, especially for business leaders. So it's it's not an easy path. So is it, um, it makes total sense though. So to make that transition outside of it saying it's change and it's just going to require me to time on my side to, to make that transition, is there significant cost difference for the employer to, to do this route versus the traditional? Yeah, it's so right now the average we the per employee per year. So if you look at like how much is it costing you to cover one employee on uh healthcare, including claims and all that stuff, it's up to like sixteen to eighteen thousand dollars for just one person one year. So we got anywhere between thirty five hundred, eighty eight hundred, depending on how aggressive you want to be. But I say that with a fair warning, how aggressive do you want to be? You have to be so dedicated to getting rid of these special interests and focusing on your employees, your patients getting care, and you got to be able to walk them through it. So I actually often avoid HR teams because they're the folks with the boots on the ground. I talk to people like you. I talk to the CEOs and the CFOs who can see the strategy in the bottom line, and then we teach HR, and then we teach the employees. But they'll probably save... 30, 35% in the first year that they turn their back on the traditional model easily. All right. I'm sold. Done. Making the change. Making the, <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> that was easy. That's all I had it here. Um, so, you know, going through something like this and anytime you're, you're going up against the monster of, you know, these, these mega companies, it is, just, it's, it's a constant battle, right? It's a, mm -hmm. What do you do um, to continue to keep yourself motivated and passionate? Um, yes, it can be frustrating and you get angry because you know what's going on. It can also be emotionally um, and physically exhausting. What do you do to ensure that those times where you're like, why the hell am I doing this? Um, you know, it, it, life could be so much easier. What keeps you going? What keeps you motivated? How do you continue to flick the switch every single day and, and power through? 
Gosh, that's such a good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before, actually. I definitely have my moments. It's it's really hard. And going up against these massive special interests, I think the only thing that really gives me a ton of credibility is that they don't fight back. And that should tell you everything that you need to know. So when I'm out there on stages and I'm traveling across the country and I'm rah-rahing about this and they're not saying anything in response, um, that makes me feel pretty validated, like I'm doing the right thing. But I got to tell you, I when I first started speaking out, people were not very fond of me, especially other advisors, because I was talking about how they got paid and um, that bothered a lot of people. And sure. over the last few years, you know, it started out with a small group of people who were like, I agree with you. And then it grew. And at this point, I have so many people that support me that truly look look up to me, which is such a wild thing to say. You know, again, I'm a millennial. I'm not that old. I'm old enough, but not that old. Um, and I see them deploying my strategies. And I'm like, I can't stop. I can't stop. There's so many more people that I can help, that I can touch. I mean, there's millions upon millions of people. And I think what advisors don't take seriously enough is, and I, I, I'm sure you have an advisor. And if you think about it, healthcare is probably what your second, third biggest line item as a business owner. And you're retaining an advisor to help you with that. They they have the keys to the kingdom. They're touching your finances, your employees' well-being, their family's well-being. It's such an immense responsibility. And I take that like really, really, really seriously. That's so important to me. And I know that if I'm not representing my clients, a broker who's not as invested as me will be representing them and I won't let that happen. So that's why. I like it. What's the end game? 15 years from now, uh, 20 years from now, what what is happening in a perfect scenario that you have a bottle of beautiful champagne? You're like, oh my God, we did it. What is what it. is that utopian scenario that happens? I used to think it was overhauling the healthcare system, like reform. Everyone talks about reform. I used to believe wholeheartedly I was going to change it, even if I had to do it myself. You know, I don't believe that anymore. I I at some point had this epiphany that I have to build a new one. So I would love in 10 to 15 years from now for us to have a patient-centered, doctor-focused healthcare system that doesn't involve insurance. I would love to start building inclusive medical centers for people who don't have access to insurance or are underinsured or under the poverty line. I care deeply because and this is a pretty bold statement, but I believe that a lot of the issues we have in the U.S. that don't seem related to healthcare, I think they are. I think that people are not getting primary care, they're not getting mental health care, and that has a disastrous impact later on. And so I think if we can create a healthcare system that's accessible, affordable, and take care of our people, a lot of other things in our economy are going to get better. And I, I, I might be a little crazy. I am a redhead, but I think I can do it. I, I think in 15 years, I'll have it done for sure. I love that. I love that. And I think you touched on a few things there that are important to, that I'd love to talk about for a few minutes. One, you brought up um, mental health. And I think that is a, it's a big topic right now. Um, and it's something that if you look at statistics, it's almost, it's staggering. Um, mm -hmm. what's happened in, in mental health. And I think there's a million different conversations that can be had of, of what has transpired to get us to that point. Um, what do you think is, how do we help solve there? What is that? It, it's, it's a, it's a weird, almost a gray area of, is it healthcare? Is it not? Right. And in this, mm -hmm. in a strange way, sometimes almost don't even view it as, well, that's not traditional healthcare. That's something different, but we're seeing this. I mean, it is incredible to see the numbers continue to, to rise in that specific area of mental health. What, what do you see happening there, um, in your industry to help battle that and fight that? 
I mean, I think employers are starting to demand it. So we we follow the employer's demand. I, I'm a big data geek and I have to track a lot of data for my job. And so I keep an eye on whether or not people are skipping medications. That's usually an indicator that someone is not managing well or they can't afford something. Um, I also look pretty regularly at my clients' uh, utilization for mental health, and we can actually take a diagnosis of someone and then match it up to whether or not they're getting treatment. So we deploy things like case management to make sure that person knows that they have access to it. But I think what it's going to take is, and and I'm I don't the universal healthcare thing. I don't know about that honestly. I people say, well, who's going to pay for it? Uh, my argument is, what are you paying for now, right? You're already paying taxes into the system for Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid. You're already paying your premiums, plus your deductible, plus your out-of-pocket, and the list goes on. So why not just pay for universal health care and have health care? Um, I think there is an argument there. But if we could just start with getting people primary care that includes mental mm -hmm. health services, I think we'd solve like 80% of this problem. But it's becoming such a generational issue. Like my parents, really old school. My dad probably wouldn't dare go see a therapist, but he needs to. And as a result of that, I grew up <laughs> thinking like, oh, I don't need therapy. But guess what? I really do, <laughs> you know? So I, until we change that and make like the basic services available, I think it's going to continue to skyrocket, unfortunately. But I, I hope to change it. I really do. How, I know the... Um... My dad was a therapist. Um, I have family members mm -hmm. that um, he was a psychologist. I have family members that that are as well, and so it's very in my world. It's it's a very commonplace. Um, and one of my cousins, who's a psychologist, was actually working specifically um, in an area of showing data that says really focusing on mental health um, mm -hmm. for your teams. If you're an employer, what does that do for them and their production? Um, and it, because a lot of times I think we think mental health is, are you happy? And, and I think that's, that's a huge piece. We want everyone to be happy, but if you're looking at it strictly from a business perspective and saying, mm -hmm. how do the, how does mental health affect the numbers of an, of our organization, realizing or recognizing mental health has a, I mean, a direct effect on your bottom line, on your productivity of your teams, how much time are they missing from work? And I don't think you realize that until you really start examining and digging into it, how much um, I think it could benefit us um, exponentially if we paid more mm -hmm. attention to it. Um, if we're strictly talking about it from a business perspective, say, take the emotional side out of saying, I just want to see everyone happy because I care about people. If you just want to talk about your business alone, you will see a huge impact on your business if that's all you care about, just by making mm -hmm. sure that your team is healthy and happy um, and, and mentally sharp. I think you're so right. And you, what you said was really profound, which is that it's not just about, am I happy, right? If I've, I've had grappled with depression for the very first time in my life about a year ago, and I had no idea that that's what it was because I was losing focus and I was tired and I was like forgetful and couldn't remember things. And I didn't have, it wasn't that I wasn't happy, it's that I didn't have motivation or passion. And, you know, it goes back to your other question where you're like, the days that you don't want to do this, I was finding myself not wanting to do this every single day in a row until my doctor was finally like, I'd really like you to see a therapist. And I'm like, eh, don't need a therapist. Don't be stupid. But it, it, as it turns out, I was depressed. And thankfully, I had a wonderful primary care doctor that kind of swooped me up and, and fixed me to, to a degree. Um, but you're right. And the employers that I work with, the, the benefit that they have of working with me is that they get to build the health plan that fits their employees. Because so often you're being sold a product that most of your employees can't afford. And you're looking at it as a business owner, like, what can I afford? And then you give it to them without knowing, can they afford it or not? So I would say if you're an employer, um, get rid of the health insurance carrier and build your own plan and make it so that your employees have unlimited, unparalleled access to primary care and mental health services. And you will see a swift change in your organization. Like everything that you mentioned, amazing difference. How much does passion, um, we look at 
and we're going to veer off a touch from what we were talking about and, and, and start talking about the individual and the person. Um, and you talked about a year ago, you were trying to figure out what was going on with you. And when we talk about individuals and what really makes them tick, right? How many people have jobs because they're forced to have jobs because they have to make money to pay bills to just survive. And you'd mentioned very early on in this conversation about that, that millennial generation was really the first generation that says, I'm not going to work to work. I need to have a purpose behind what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, that is a very difficult thing for most people to really uncover of what their purpose and their passion actually is. And I think mm -hmm. it's a very skewed, um, it's, it's a very skewed reality for most people because they are focused on what they see. They're focused on what social media tells them they should be. They're focused on what they believe they want to have because we're so focused on just the materialistic side of what we believe makes us happy that we really miss the mark on what truly makes you tick as a person. And I, I always used to say, like, if you, what would you do if you weren't getting paid and you were okay with doing it for free for the rest of your life because you were just insanely in love with doing that? If you could just have your basic bills met and you could survive, what would you be totally down with doing for the rest of your life without getting a paycheck? If you could figure that out, that's that thing that gets you excited. That's the thing that keeps you up at night, that wakes you up first thing in the morning. And I think that's that missing piece that people are searching for something that is a far cry and a miss from what their actual passion is. And I used, there's a line I used to say all the time that says, don't let someone else's passion cause you to pursue their purpose. And it's seeing someone else's like, oh my God, look what they drive. Look what their life is. Look how they get to travel. I want that. So you start mm -hmm. pursuing what their purpose is and you miss out on what your passion is. And I think that's a, it's so difficult right now in the world that we live in because you, you get mixed messages at all times of what you should be doing and what your passion should be. Um, and it makes it very challenging when you talk about business owners like yourself, uh, like, like us, um, to help your team figure out what that passion is to, to make sure they're in a good space. It's, it's a, it's a chore. It is, it is something that you were, I, I am constantly trying to figure out how do I make sure that I'm helping my team, um, mm -hmm. put them in the best position possible for them while still running, a, a, a being a good steward of my business at the same time. Does that make sense? It does. And you know what it reminded me of? I think you and I are cut from the same cloth. But first I'll say that if you're under 40 and you're listening, once you get to 40, it will be a lot easier. I dreaded like on the on the lead up to 40, I was like, I care about everything. I care about my looks. I care about my presentation, yada, yada, yada. And I, I was dreading getting what I considered old. And then I turned 40 and I, I had this epiphany like, Oh my gosh, I could just do what I want. Like I <laughs> I'm not a kid, I'm not a teenager. I can do whatever I want. That's really freeing and I think that happens as you get older. But what you were describing, so I think it was 2 years ago now and this totally changed. There's a book uh written, I forget the name of the book, but the author is Dr. Alex Lickerman. He's a a physician in Chicago actually. And in the book, uh he he did this challenge with me a couple of years ago to find your purpose. And statistically, you're right, if people have a purpose, they live happier lives. Just that's how it works. And so he says to me, I want you to think about it. Um I want you to figure out what your life's purpose is. And I said to him, well, it, you know, it's to change the U.S. healthcare system, so it's better. And he said, "No, no, I, your mission, your purpose is, is not something you're ever actually going to fulfill. It's something so big and so ridiculous that you will never ever achieve it in your lifetime. But you wake up every day willing to make a contribution to to it becoming true, and that is what your purpose is." And I'd never looked at it like that before because I'm, I'm big picture. I'm like, I'm going to fix the healthcare system. I'm going to stand on that big podium and be like, we did it. And he made me realize that it's not about that. It's about the legacy that I leave behind and all the contributions I made so that in the future, I'm never going to see that it happened, 
but I will have contributed to it. And that's how you determine what your purpose is. And I, I had my employees, I had every one of my employees go through that exact same exercise. And, you know, they're all millennials too. Some of them are even younger than that, but it, it really lit a fire. I think that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Is like, find, find what matters to you the most and just pay into it a little bit every day. Yeah. It's, we always say, um, the pursuit of perfection, right? Mm -hmm. You'll never achieve perfection, but in the process you'll find greatness. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, what are we continuing to do every single day? That's pushing us towards what that purpose is and what we're supposed to be doing. I, I know for me, I, I, I am passionate about leadership. I am passionate mm -hmm. about seeing other people win and, and helping them find their success and maximizing in them what they didn't even realize they had like that. Those are things that I am, I am wildly passionate about. And in the process of doing that, it's also making sure that being careful not to push what my passion is um, and forcing that onto someone else and make, trying to make that their passion and their purpose um, and helping them to identify what is right for them. Don't look at what I do. Don't look at what your direct report does. What, let's talk about you specifically. How do we make sure mm -hmm. that we are tapping to you and what's going to help you find where you want to be? And I, I think a lot of times, Emma, people just don't have anyone asking them those questions. Right. No one's willing to have like a heartfelt conversation with someone that says, stop the game, forget the Instagram filter, just look <laughs> me dead in the face and tell me like, what makes you happy? Like, just, right. I don't, don't tell me what you think I want to hear or what the right response is. Just have this wildly vulnerable moment to tell mm -hmm. me what makes you happy and be okay with that. And I think too many I times, we live, right. We live in such a world of making sure that, that perfection is on the Instagram and perfection is how I'm mm -hmm. presenting to others. And I get it. It's a world we live in and, and I fall victim to the exact same thing. But when do we have those moments and who do you have in your life, which I think is probably an even bigger question. Who do you have in your life that you could look dead in the face with, with your worst outfit on in a horrible scenario <laughs> with a cheap bottle of wine and say, this is what makes me happy or this is what is driving <laughs> me nuts right? You, you have to have that person in your life that you can be okay with. Yeah. And you, I, I love you, you and I have such similar leadership styles. I wholeheartedly believe that we should stop telling people what we want them to do and ask them instead what they would like to do for us. My employees are some of the best, most happiest people because I, I've put them in roles that they curated for themselves kind of. And I, I happened to need it and it was fantastic. Um, I don't know who that person is for you, but I think it's gotta be a toss up between my husband and my best friend, super non-judgmental, you know? Um, but again, I, I think, I don't know about you, maybe it's a question for you. I'll turn the tables on you for a minute, but like at what point in your career did you get to that where you thought, you know what, I, it's okay for me to just be me and follow what I want to do versus, following everybody else's direction. And I, I don't know what the answer is for me. So maybe you can shed some light on that instead. I don't know that there was, I don't know that I could look back and say, oh my God, this was this pivotal moment when X mm -hmm. happened. Can I, can I look back from the time that um, I was even a kid and see different things that, I, I, I don't know if it's in my DNA. I don't know if it was how I was raised, the way my parents treated me. Um, who I was surrounded with growing up, but I have believed since I was a child that no matter what, um, I was going to, I highly competitive and wanted mm -hmm. to be the best at everything. Um, and felt as though I could change the world. Like I, I, to this day, I wake up and whatever anybody else is dreaming, throw a hundred times on top of it. And you're probably getting closer to where my head thinks I'm going to do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that I wake up every day in my world of, of in the hospitality industry of I I'm fighting the system, so to speak, similar to you of, I believe we can be different mm -hmm. and we're going to make an impact 
and we're going to change the way this multi-billion dollar industry operates and the way that we treat our people and all these things. And I can think from the time I was a kid, I've always kind of had that mindset with anything that I did. I think you brought up a great point of the older I've gotten, one, the more mature I've become, mm -hmm. um, the more I knew how to take those ideas that I had and actually act on them the right way to get the best type of results. Um, I've learned how to become, I never, ever, ever felt that I was selfish until a few years ago, I realized I was unbelievably selfish, right? And I, I, I think getting to a point where I can make that statement and be okay with it, that says 15 years ago, I thought I was the most giving person and I constantly made choices and decisions based on other people and wanting to make sure they were happy. And in the reality, I was making choices and decisions that were ensuring that I was happy while using them as a crutch to mm -hmm. justify my behavior. And I think it wasn't until a few years ago, honestly, with my significant other that helped me identify, that helped me have that very honest conversation with myself of like, I'm an issue. Like I, <laughs> I am literally a Julia Michaels song um, walking around every day. And you like, I had to have that kind of conversation with someone, yep. but then ultimately with myself to say, okay, cool. I've identified it. Now, what am I going to do? It's not going to happen overnight. I'm not going to wake up the next day and go, oh my God, I need to be different. And now I'm different. But was there a process to ensure every day I was trying to do something to be better? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and is that process over? No, I hope it's not over until once I'm dead and gone. I hope that I continue every day to try and be a better person in the process. But I think that comes with maturity. It comes through being okay with failing. It comes through being having people in your life that you're you're okay we live and die at our company by a, a term we call radical candor another great book if you haven't read it i have actually <laughs> radical, yeah great book right kim scott yeah. and having radical candor personally as well in your relationship with whoever that person is in your life um that's that's i have to be okay with her looking at me and saying like hey you're being a dick today <laughs> and me going, <laughs> all right, I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to acknowledge that you're right, but yeah. damn it. I hear you. And I need to get my, I need to get myself straight. Right. Because <laughs> I know, and she knows our clients, our teams, they take their cues from us as the senior leaders, as a CEO. And, um, I do my best to ensure that they always get the best version of me. I need to make sure that everyone around me, including personally gets the best version of me. And mm -hmm. having people in your life to be able to have those types of conversations with I, are crucial. And I think that is a scary place that a lot of people live in right now. When we talk about mental health, they don't have those people. They mm -hmm. don't have those individuals that they can just be radically candid with. Um, and that's, that's a tough place to live. I can't tell you how much I agree with literally everything you said. I, it, It's amazing because I feel like we still see so many leaders. I, I'm sure in your industry too, I, it's got to be very similar. There's still so many leaders that make the staff hate their life so badly. I saw this, I think it was actually a Simon Sinek um, a presentation that he did about how he interacted with a barista at a hotel and how different that person felt under a, he had a second job at a different hotel and there was one set of management and another set of management. And he said, you know, when I'm at the, when I'm here under these management, under this leadership that makes me feel so valued and supported and that I'm doing the right thing, he's full of energy and hope and optimism and comes out in every cup of coffee that he makes and every interaction he has with every hotel uh, patron that comes by. Whereas at the other place, you know, he's micromanaged and there's not a lot of confidence instilled in him and it makes such a big difference. But I know I'm not supposed to be interviewing you, but I'm, I, I might have an answer. I'm curious, you know, at some point there's downtime that has to be had because you can't be everything to everyone all the time. So how do you manage it as a leader? You know, I, I find it hard actually. It's probably my biggest struggle is turning off and toning it down. Um, and I'm still learning how to do that because I've I've had a little burnout here and there it, because of this style of leadership that you're talking about. It can be very emotionally uh, draining sometimes. There's a lot of emotional um, and mental investment in it, I think. 
couldn't agree more. Um, I, I, I don't turn off. Um, and <laughs> I was I, worried being, you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, and look, I, the one thing I will say is this, uh, cause I'll get asked the question like, well, when do you take vacation? And, um, we live an amazing life beyond fortunate, blessed, um, in so many ways, undeserving, but we'll absolutely take every, every moment of it that we're, we're blessed with and making sure that as we get to travel the world, um, 90 plus percent of the time it's for work and you see all these insane places we get to travel to and thing. And, and the majority of the time we are working, but there's always a moment in that process that I go, I get to do every day what most people save up an entire lifetime to do once. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, we just opened a hotel in, in Africa and in a safari. Most of the planet will never get to experience that. And for 10 plus days, we stayed in a luxury safari going out and seeing this insane creation. Uh, it's, I get to do every day what most people never get an opportunity to do. Never losing sight of that is extremely important. I believe mm -hmm. that perspective, the, the mind's an amazing thing. And the more that you can you can ensure that you are controlling your thoughts and the way you view things. Um, your perspective will completely change whether or not your cup is full or you feel empty. It is a mm -hmm. very different, it is simply perspective that says, I still have a half a tank less left to go versus I'm halfway empty. That is, mm -hmm. that is nothing more than your perspective of how you view things. And so for me, a lot of times it's making sure that my perspective is right. It's those moments mm -hmm. when we've taken back to back to back flights and I'm getting old and my back is killing me and I can <laughs> barely walk. Um, but stopping and going, God, look at the opportunities that, that we get. And sometimes it's not me. Sometimes it's my significant other reminding me and saying, mm -hmm. I'll give an example of, we teach a class called psychology of hospitality. And it's a workshop that was built on, it was my, my father helped develop it with data and all this stuff. And now it's this three to four hour workshop we do for hotels, organizations, you name it. And we have had amazing results from it. We, the, the impact that it has is, is phenomenal. There are times I just don't want to do it. There are times I have so much going on that the idea of me getting on a plane um, at this point, I'm the only one at our organization that teaches that class to get on a plane and go somewhere and, and do this sometimes for a few hundred people, sometimes for 10. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I don't want to, I'm, I've got a million other things going on. It's, it's a time suck for me. And it's that rem she'll remind me, you understand the impact that it has on people. And that moment's a reminder for me of that's why we do it. That's mm -hmm. the only reason why we do it. The only reason, the only reason why we have a podcast is because there's potentially one single person listening that needs to hear about, oh my God, someone else understands what I'm dealing with in healthcare right now. I just found a solution. I found mm -hmm. someone that's giving me hope for tomorrow. It's the only reason why we do it. Like right. that reminder and perspective of why, the why of why we do these things um, is what that's why I don't turn off is because my work is vacation, right? The, the, I get to do things every day that most people don't. And that's perspective. And that's it. That's the only, that's the only thing that continues to keep the battery at 90 plus percent charged at all times is perspective. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's actually a very humble answer. And I I'm with you. I don't, I always say, you know, I don't, shut down because I don't want to come back to the mountain that will inevitably, you know, pile itself up while I'm gone. And to me, it's more like a strategy, but I genuinely love what I do. And I, I find excitement in like, I work Saturday mornings by choice. I don't have to, but it's like that morning where you have your hot coffee and nobody else is working. And so the emails aren't just coming in incessantly and I can just sit in my office in my pajamas. I don't have to be on a Zoom meeting and I can just do the things throughout the week that weren't a big priority, 
but they were the fun things. That's why they weren't the priority, right? Because I had to actually get business yeah. stuff done. So I, I absolutely agree with you. And I've always felt like as long as when I dedicate my time to someone, I'm actually dedicating my time to someone. Uh, you know, I have children. So if I tell them we're going to do this and we're going to have lunch together, it's the one thing that I will commit to is that I am going to pay attention while we're at lunch. I'm going to commit. I committed the time to you. And therefore, that is the time that you have with me as your mom. It's so important and so needed because um, being I, I don't know if you're a parent, but being a working parent has its challenges, especially in roles like this. But yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. I think um, I think we're very similar leadership types. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, I, this has been fun. It's been enlightening. It's now making me completely rethink everything we're doing in healthcare. I'm going to text you after this and be like, fix it, fix it all. Um, so if, if people want to, anyone that's listening, if they want to learn more, um, just mm -hmm. for educational purposes, if they want to find ways to change, um, maybe what, the, what they're dealing with right now, or maybe they want to come they are passionate about the same thing and they want to come fight alongside you. How can people either find you, follow along? Um, what's the best way to get in touch with Emma? I would say um, go get to know me first. And I, I'm a very uh, quirky but very kind uh, person. And I have a website. It's just my name, emmamariefox.com. And from that point, you can reach me by email. My phone number's up there. My speaking inquiry's up there. Every company that I own is up there. I've become a serial entrepreneur over the last few years. Um, and But it'll also give you an insight into who I am. And I think if if we're ever going to work together or, or have a conversation that's even slightly professional, I really like people to get to know who I am first. So start there. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm sure there's a few Emma Foxes, but I'm probably the one that's going to come up the most because I yell the loudest and <laughs> people follow <laughs> me. So um, yeah, I would love to talk to anybody. I, I, um, the, the more that can jump on this wagon, the more that will get done a lot faster. So that means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, thank you for all you're doing. Thanks for, for being mm -hmm. on the front lines and fighting mm -hmm. this battle. Um, it is, it's a huge um, challenge an opportunity that I think that having somebody like yourself that's out there um, with your voice, um, as loud as it might be, that's fighting for, <laughs> for everyone else is extremely important as you continue to try and make make moves, make waves and make changes in a very challenging industry that, that affects all of us. And so we can't thank yeah. you enough for what you're doing. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me on. This was so fun. Of course, for everyone that's been listening, I am Chris Adams. It is the Pink Elephant Podcast. You can find me at uh, social media channels at Chris Adams underscore EAG at Ellis Adams Official or always our website, www.ellisadamsgroup.com. Look forward to seeing everyone next week and uh, thanks for joining me.